The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks as the three seed. Why did Doc Brooklyn, why Luka Doncic proved every point of why the Bucks rested, and much, much more. We'll talk a little bit about the Bulls-Bucks series and get into all of it. We will also chat about the Milwaukee Brewers. They got off to, may not the best start for the season, but we'll talk about some opening impressions about this season. Uh, see where we are at with three games into the young baseball season. And then we will talk about the Masters as part of Chuck's Corner. Was this one of the most boring Masters that people had witnessed? I will make a case against that. And we'll kind of talk through, you know, what the Masters were this weekend. All right. So before we get going with the box, uh, just want to tell you, if you aren't following us on social media, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, we are on everywhere, really. Uh, Tabby the Keg on Twitter, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Follow us on all of them. Follow us on one of them, whatever your preference is. We appreciate it. If you're new to the Tapping the Keg family, welcome. Uh, if you are joining us and not subscribed yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, doesn't matter. We're on there. Um, we'd love to have you. If you've been subscribed for a while, it's a good time for you to leave a review or rating. We would really appreciate it. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks got their asses kicked today by the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's a surprise to no one because they were playing absolutely no one. There's absolutely no one playing for the for the Milwaukee Bucks tonight because they really had no desire in this game. They had no really will to win, uh, even though they could have been the two seed had they won. Now, some people would wonder why the Bucs didn't play this one out just like they did with the Detroit Pistons, where they sent a complete message to Detroit and the rest of the NBA. I pumped my chest in the review, might have had a few cocktails, had here nor there, and telling people that, look, we are not scared of anybody. I still mean that. I still believe that wholeheartedly. The Milwaukee Bucks got the job done on Friday where they were not going to be a four seat. The Milwaukee Bucks did not want to play Toronto and then Miami. And it had nothing to do with that they were quote-unquote afraid of them. It was more the physicality that both teams bring. Both teams bring a physical nature that can wear you down, that's going to beat you up, that will basically mean you are going to war for both series, that you are strapping up and best of luck to whoever survives. And if you don't come away with some bruises, some bumps, some sprains, you're probably not doing it right or you're probably sitting at home waiting for the next season. So the Milwaukee Bucks chose the path of least resistance. The Milwaukee Bucks said, all right, we'll at least put ourselves in a position where it's a two or a three. And then because we've played already th two games in the last three nights, this will be our three and four, plus the game's not starting at 2.30, we are just going to rest all of our guys and we're going to keep everybody healthy. And that is exactly what the Milwaukee Bucks did. They lose the game. Boston Celtics then have a chance to basically take the two seed. They play all their guys against Memphis tonight, fully rested, had not played since that Thursday game against Milwaukee. And sure enough, the Celtics came through and kicked everybody. They kicked Memphis's ass. And they are the two seed. 
Boston deserves a ton of credit for getting the two seed. Boston, I wouldn't say, was quote-unquote ducking Brooklyn. It was just kind of how it all panned out. And you're like, well, wait, what do you mean Boston ducking Brooklyn? They're playing Brooklyn. They decided to play play this one out. They kind of had no choice. Like at this, if they would have rested all their guys against Memphis, who's already resting their guys, it would have really looked like a clear sign of a ducking. Boston did some of that on Thursday by not taking care of business against Milwaukee. They could have easily taken care of business against Milwaukee and said, all right, we're going to get the two-seater bust. But they ended up falling kind of on the quote-unquote sword, and the Bucks had the advantage. Now, if the NBA had structured this where the Bucks and Celtics are playing at the same time, I still think the Bucks rest everybody because they had no real desire to get to the two-seat. They just wanted to be a three-seat. That's all they wanted to do because they know that if they face Brooklyn or Boston or Cleveland, you have to consider it, if they face one of those teams in the second round, they know they can win and they know the series might not be that difficult. And they have had such good success with the Chicago Bulls that it's hard for hard for anyone to really look past it, right? The Bulls are kind of a sacrificial lamb in this thing. And I know we should probably not necessarily take the Bulls that lightly. It's the playoffs. Anything can happen. DeMar DeRozan is going to be a pain in the ass to deal with. But at the same time, it's really hard for us to see this and not think the Bucs can't win in five. I don't know if we could say the same thing if they played Brooklyn. I don't know if we could say the same thing if they played Toronto. This worked out perfectly for Milwaukee, and it lets Milwaukee ease their way into playoffs. It lets Mike Budenholzer try a few things, and it's not this immediate, hey, it's Giannis versus KD, round one, winner goes home. Because I personally, while I think the Bucs would have came out successful, I do think that would have been another series where the Bucs would be beaten and battered, and then they'd have to face Boston. Instead, they are facing Chicago, and it should be a pretty quick series. If the Bucs let that go to six, it is a loss. It should be a disappointment. The Bucs should have no reason to make this thing go past five. It's not fucking around time anymore. And the Bucs can ill afford to do it. A point was proven with what the Bucs did in terms of taking the three seed with the Dallas game this evening. Now Dallas had reason to fight. They could have potentially got the three seed, had the Warriors lost, and Dallas could have been the three. Dallas, that with being the three, you avoid Phoenix in the second round. Dallas having Luka out there, Luka Doncic was out there, obviously, to try to capture that three seed. But it didn't work out, and Luka strained his calf. Now, Jason Kidd, being of the old school mentality, did not necessarily manage Luka's minutes, was not trying to make sure that Luka played sporadically in this game. They were going full throat to win, while the Spurs were resting all of their guys. So you could make a case that maybe the Mavericks could have won without Luka, or Luka just playing a little bit here and there, getting a running, getting a sweat, but not necessarily going full bore. Luka strains his calf, and he's probably going to be out for the first round of the playoffs. It's terribly shitty luck for Luka Doncic. It's, that guy could have had a LeBron-like run into the finals. Like We could have easily saw he could have had this ascension of the next great player by having this sort of one-man show in the postseason. Instead, Doncic is probably not going to play 
and this jazz team who's been a complete clusterfuck, who looks like they hate each other from the coaches to the players, could find themselves into the second round against Utah. Or I'm sorry, against Phoenix. It's not unrealistic now with Doncic potentially being out. It's a massive blow to this Dallas team and it justifies everything the Bucs did. Because playing three games in four nights at the end of the season is a really tall task. It is not necessarily something you want to do with your team. And the Bucs were not going to risk it. They were not going to chance losing Giannis or losing Chris Middleton or losing Brooke Lopez or even Drew Holiday who played for exactly a minute before he did a take foul with Darius Garland, got his paycheck and was able to get his bonus. So good for Drew. So the Bucs weren't going to take any risks tonight and I commend them for that. Injuries happen in the NBA. They happen in any sport. We, we hate when they happen, but they do. And the Bucs did not want to have that be a thing. And if your title run was interrupted by an injury from one of your big four, including Brooke Lopez, it would have been a real bummer. It would have been a real tough way to start the playoffs. And that is what you're seeing right now with the Dallas Mavericks, who are suddenly gone from sneaky, sleepy contender to probably an afterthought to a team that maybe has to hold the water at least for the first two games while Luka's out, and maybe Luka can come back. But the other thing about a calf strain, not to be all Dr. Not Dr. Oz, because I think like Dr. Oz is kind of a politically got charged guy now, not to be Dr. David Chow on you, but the thing is, is they're going to be playing in altitude. And if you have a calf strain, if you think about your calf muscle and it's strained, isn't altitude going to cause issues with that? So is that another factor why Luka might not even be able to get back till game five? So Dallas might have to like hold the fort down until game five. They might have to at least get it to a game five and play in Dallas, and then we'll see. I have no idea. That That's, that's going to be fascinating, right? And I, I'm just so glad the Bucs don't have to deal with that. So it had nothing to do with dodging Brooklyn. The Bucs almost swept the Nets this year. They should have swept the Nets. If it's not for an epic collapse by Milwaukee in the fourth quarter, they sweep Brooklyn. They, they had no problem with the Nets this year. All right, This idea that the Nets were this hard-fought opponent for Milwaukee just doesn't kind of hold water. They blew their asses out in or in a Friday game where they won wire to wire before I think it was right after Christmas, as in January. They blew out the Nets on the opening night with and they yeah, they didn't have Kyrie in both those games, but fine. Kyrie then lights him up in game three, but again, like we said, should have won it. Then in the last game, they made Kyrie an afterthought. It was Durant and Giannis back and back. The Bucs did not play well in that game, yet they still found a way to pull it out of their ass despite getting outshot from three and turning the ball over a bunch. It was not the cleanest Bucs game, but they found a way to win. So that goes back to the point that the Bucs aren't really scared of anybody. The Bucs were basically playing injury prevention, and it worked out for them. Dallas did not play that, and they lost. And Jason Kidd and Dallas's management is going to get killed for this for the leading up to the playoffs. This will be the only thing people talk about. Utah-Dallas, by the way, is the first game on Saturday afternoon. 
So everybody will talk about it in the pregame. It will be a massive conversation for the NBA leading up. And I imagine there will be other teams who look at this Luka injury and think how they do the end of the season. The NBA is never really going to have that baseball end of the year or that football end of the year feel. It's just too hard with the playing game. If the playing game wasn't there, maybe there would be a little bit more of that. This is one of the consequences against the playing game. I'm pro playing game. I think, you know, having teams like the Pelicans and the Spurs actually playing for things that matter is really cool. Having the Hawks, you know, not necessarily bow out and go into tank mode was really good. And the Hawks, to me, I think end up being the eighth seed. Like, I feel really bad for Cleveland, but I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think whoever wins that Atlanta-Charlotte game, which I would probably peg Atlanta in that one, I think Atlanta ends up being the eight. And I think the Pelicans can actually be the eight seed too. I hate to say it because I love the Timberwolves. Like, if we get Timberwolves-Pelicans as the eight eight seed game, that's going to be a fun-as-fuck game. That Pelicans team, I, I almost wonder if you don't need Zion. Like, I I would raise some real questions about it. So the playing game helps because we have these storylines. We can talk about this. But the playing game hurts that end of the year. And I don't know if there's any real way to fix it. I've seen some people be like, well, they could choose their opponents. And if they choose their opponents, that's how you do it. Well, that that to me is just unrealistic. I don't think that can, that can actually happen. Uh, the only way would be is if you expand the playoffs to add a 10 teams, and which would be crazy. You'd, it would be expansion, right? So I think the NBA right now is at 30 teams. So if they went to 32 and they decided to do a 10-team playoff, but the 10-team playoff was kind of similar to what baseball does where teams get buys, where you get, you get some time off. They end up shortening those first round to like a five-game series versus seven game series and you basically have the I'm trying to think how this would work I'm doing this on the fly without really thinking if you added two playoff teams I guess you would give the one seed and the two seed buys so that you'd incentivize getting the two seed and then the lowest seed would then play the one and the two and then you go on from there I think that would be the only way but I'm hard-pressed to see the NBA doing something like that. That seems a little bit unrealistic. So I, the only way that you would, yeah, incentivize, you know, playing would be in that in that buy scenario. I don't think you're going to pick teams, but I do think if Miami could draft a team, if let's say it's a plan and you end up getting Brooklyn, Atlanta, they probably are still taking out. No, I actually think they're taking Chicago. If it was a draft, they would take Chicago. I think Boston would take probably then Atlanta and then I think from there the Bucks would have to take Brooklyn and so there you go right and then that I guess incentivized against it so it's an interesting point but I don't ever think there will be drafts of it, that that's so unheard of that's so counterculture to what we've done in sports not just the NBA in sports like we don't do that in the NHL we don't do that in Football, like we don't do that in. I'm trying to think of other sports. There, even in like tennis and golf. Well, golf match play doesn't really happen, but tennis, like we seed everything like it's normal, right? Matchups happen. Champions League. I guess you could do a draw. 
could do it like that, I guess. You could do it like a World Cup or Champions League where everybody gets into a draw and then basically you decide from there and it's like a round robin thing or you know some sort of aggregate. And I don't know how you would do that, I guess. The top four seeds would would basically get there and then the last four, it would be a draw. But that, again, decentivizes making the playoffs because you then, it, what what is it good as a seed? So you can push back on all this stuff. I realize that I've taken this on a complete tangent, but what I'm trying to, I guess, get to is like this idea that the NBA can have a final game that means something is just really hard to do because of the injury risk, because of just where the teams see themselves philosophically and everything else. So I apologize for the tangent and let's wrap it up with just some thoughts on home court. There will be a contingent of Bucks fans that say, well, what about home court advantage? The Bucks have decided to basically punt home court advantage for maybe the second and third round of the playoffs and potentially the NBA Finals, barring they don't play a top three seed in the Western Conference. It's a fair point. It's a fair contention. I like home court advantage, but I will offer multiple alternatives here. Number one, what's to say that all series go seven? It's pretty rare to have series go seven games. It just, it doesn't happen that often. We don't necessarily see series go seven games. And there's some advantage to the Bucks playing at home for games three and four when they have sort, certainly succeeded in terms of being able to not have to deal with the round one or the game one jitters. Bucks lost to Brooklyn in game one on the road. They lost that game. They played terribly. They were not good. Game one against Atlanta at home, actually in Milwaukee, lost that game. Phoenix, game one, lost that game. The Bucks bucked, no pun intended, every trend that you usually see in the NBA. They were down 2-0 in multiple series. Didn't matter. Came back one. Tighten the screws up at home in both of those series. Bucks play better as the series goes on. They make more adjustments. They get more comfortable. Milwaukee is definitely not a team that comes out firing. Game ones are always trouble for the Bucks. I would not recommend putting the Bucks in a parlay or putting or betting again, betting with the Bucks on Easter Sunday. You'd be best to just stay away from game one. Maybe take the over, maybe take the under, but that's all I would do with the Bucks because game ones are their kryptonite. And partly it's, I think, how Bud manages the roster. I think Bud wants to sort of feel everything out and then he gets an idea of what the looks are being provided. And so I personally have no problem with how the Bucks structured this and how they will be getting more of their games at home in games three, four, and six. They can close out a lot of series in six. They can close, ironically, the Bucks in six, yes. But they're going to have opportunities to then be at home for you know those sort of games. And on top of that, they're not doing the 2-3-2 two, two in the finals. You saw it last year. The Bucks did have to go to a pivotal game five in Phoenix. They won that. They had to do a pivotal game, game six in Atlanta without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Again, they did that. They figured, oh no, sorry. Giannis played in that game. I apologize. Yeah, no, did he? No, he didn't. He didn't play in that game. Take that back. Giannis didn't play. 
you forget about like the timeline of everything. But yeah, they won in Atlanta. Had no problem. They won in Atlanta. They won in Brooklyn. They, they have no problem winning on the road. This team is nails. This team has a, defined a lot of the conventional wisdom of the NBA. And they're continuing to do it. Now there will be a lot of, hey, remember when if the Bucks were to lose a seventh game in Boston with a rabid fan base? Absolutely. But I think the Bucks feel very, very confident against the Celtics. I know the Celtics have kind of had the Bucks number here and there. But I think the Bucks know what they need to do against that team. I think they're slowly but surely figuring it out. And I think what's the problem with Boston, which I don't know if enough people are talking about, is they cannot win close games. They've been terrible in late game situations. And I just don't think that's getting brought up enough because playoffs are always tight. Those games are rarely blowouts. You don't see a lot of complete shit pumpings in the playoffs. They happen every now and again, but usually down to the wire or it's at least we're heading into five minutes of the fourth quarter and one team's up by five points and yeah maybe they'll pull away they win by 10 or on the inverse the other team comes back and all of a sudden it's three point game minute left anybody's ball game that would worry me if i was a celtic fan that they cannot figure out how to win in close games that has to be a problem so all in all i am very satisfied with what the Milwaukee Bucks did. I think you should be too. Um, and there's no reason to be yearning after the two seed because I think it's not going to matter in the long run. All right, moving on to baseball. So the Milwaukee Brewers are one and two to start the season. They got off to, I would say, a little bit of a rough start, right? They get blown out on Saturday, 9 nothing. They lost 5-4, to four, which we talked a little bit about on Friday's show. And then they come back to win 5-4 to four today. I had a really nice win. They got down early, 3-0. Freddie Peralta struggled yet again in the first inning, but he kind of figured it out the rest of the way. He did have a bunch of walks. He had four walks, which we can talk about here in a second. But he didn't really allow any more runs, which I have to give Freddie credit for. Uh, and the Brewers were able to get some offense from Willie Adamas, Ryan Telez, Mike Brousseau, all hit home runs. Christian Yelich also had a double that drove in Adamas. So a little production from Yelich. By the way, a lot of the Yelich haters would be sick to know that Yelich is 375 after the first week of games. That's pretty good. Or not first week, first set of games. And then the Brewers bullpen came through today and did what the Brewers bullpen should do with Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader all doing the damn thing. Boxberger was the only one to allow a hit. But each of them was out of there in less than 20 pitches. It was very impressive to see. If you're looking for a, let's just say, the biggest positive so far of the start of the season, it looks like Willie Adamas hasn't necessarily missed the beat. I mean, he had four hits already. He had a double. He had a home run. He he looks like he's just what we saw last season. I think that would be a big-time positive. The back end of the bullpen, like we just mentioned, I think that is a big positive from a pitching perspective. Andrew McCutcheon has looked really good. So that is another sign in the right direction. I think we we like to see those sort of things. In terms of the worries, in terms of the concerns, the starting pitching staff is the biggest one. And 
I thought it was interesting that Brett Anderson said, you know, a comment about the Brewers and their pitch comp, which is their sort of, they're not doing signs anymore. Brett Anderson mentioned, who's a free agent, former Brewer, said this after the game on Saturday when the Brewers lost nine to nothing. The Brewers should throw that pitch comp system into Lake Michigan, which was really interesting. It was really interesting to hear Brett <laughs> Brett Williams, Brett Anderson, not Brett Williams, Brett Anderson say that. And he he might be kidding and everything like that, but I, I think Brett Anderson kind of knows what's going on. Like I, I think that there might be a little bit of concern setting in. I have to think there's a little bit of a discussion kind of happening right now about it when you continue to sort of see issues with the Brewers pitching staff because that's that's going to be a problem. Matt McAlvey had this from Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. The trio combined for only 12 and two-thirds inning, 13 hits, 13 runs, 10 walks, and 12 strikeouts. We'll see what happened. We'll see what goes on. Like some people are saying, well, it's the sticky stuff and the sign-stealing things. I don't know. That's from a Cubs fan, but you know, we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely see what happens. We'll definitely see what happens. I I think that there is going to be a lot more to be said here. It's also one one weekend, right? It's not necessarily it's not necessarily a finale. It's not necessarily like this is what the Brewers pitching staff is going to look like. I think the pitch com conversation becomes much larger if we see Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer struggle against the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles are a perfect recipe. Yes, I know it's baseball. Anything can happen. But the Milwaukee Brewers should have some success against the Orioles this week. This week, The Orioles are not a good baseball team. These are games you take advantage of, even though it's very early in the season. You cannot necessarily go through a week where you go two and four or yeah you can't go two and four against the Orioles and the Cubs who are both going to be 500 or worse baseball teams this season that that just cannot happen that is a bad bad way to start the season you're costing yourself some wins now will you hope that you might make it up where let's say you're facing the Dodgers and a Padres in the same week and you win four out of six in that or you win five out of seven and you're like okay that kind of absolves the two and four against your Orioles and Cubs, sure. But those are wins you want. Those are wins you want to bank in. I'm not saying go sweep the Orioles. Would it be great? Yeah, it'd be awesome to go four and two heading into the weekend series against the Cardinals. But it'd be fine if you just take two out of three. Get a win, get another win under your belt, start building a little bit of momentum and not necessarily sort of do the thing today where you had to avoid a sweep and you got yourself down early. That was a problem for the Brewers a lot last season. It didn't feel like they would get out to early starts. It feel like they'd always have to come back. And that's not something I want to continue to do this season. I hate that with baseball. It's one of my bigger pet peeves is when it's just starting slow. Like the I feel like that's been a thing for the Brewers since the pandemic. Like they for a while were really good at jumping out on teams. They have not necessarily been that version in 2020 or even in 2021. I hope 
that it's sort of a short-term thing and not going to be something that we see consistently where the Brewers can't necessarily manufacture runs early and they have to sort of play from behind because that's no fun. I, I just do not like that and I'm hoping as the year goes on there will be more. But all in all, I would give this series a C minus. I don't I don't think there's a ton to love. Adamus, McCutcheon, Yelich, all good. Like that's that's happy. The back end of the bullpen good. But the starting pitching is a real issue. I think the middle relief sucked. Jake Cousins was terrible. Uh, Gustave was really bad on on Saturday too. Um, just yeah. Oh, Urania was terrible too. Which I mean, I knew Jose Urania was not going to be an actual pitcher for the Brewers. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't didn't like what I saw for the middle relief for Milwaukee this week weekend. So yeah, overall grade C minus for the series. A um, lot to clean up for Milwaukee. Hopefully they do that, and hopefully it's that's it's going to be a little bit better than than it was in Chicago when they go to Baltimore. Moving on to the Masters as part of Chuck's Corner. If you're unfamiliar, you're new to the program, Chuck's Corner is kind of a time where sometimes we talk about sports, sometimes we talk about other stuff. I also have some Milwaukee recommendations as well. Think about how the tap recommends, tapping the keg recommends, tapping the keg seal of approval, let's just call them that, We'll put that also in the Chuck's Corner at the very end of the show. Then we'll also have some scheduling stuff for the week. So you guys are up to date on that because I have some exciting news there. The Masters was, were dominated by Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler took control and made it its bitch. Scotty Scheffler has won four, four tour events in his last six tries. He is on an absolute heater. I'd said to our friend Murph, who you'll hear a lot this week, that's a tease for the programming notes. I said to Murph, because we talk golf all the time, we're in a golf league together, Murph runs it, it's a lot of fun. If you ever want to get in, shoot me a note, we can get you in next year. Um, but anyways, I was like, I'm not going to take Scheffler this week. I, I think that what I'd love to have happen is for Scheffler to miss the cut. And then everybody's off Scheffler for the PGA or for the US Open. And then that's where I attack and use Scheffler. That did not happen. And everyone will probably use Scheffler in the PGA or in the US Open this time around because Scotty was dominant in the in this Masters tournament. And he's his hot streak continues. I have not seen anything like it in golf. It was reminiscent of some Tiger Woods stuff. I hate to say that. I know Tiger Woods is one of the best of all time. But or made the best of all time. But still, I, I think that Scheffler has sort of that mentality in him. Like he's completely unflappable. I saw that in, in a couple of headlines, and it's so true. Like nothing seemed to worry this guy. He never, he never sort of gave it back. He never sort of had the moment where I was like, okay, this collapse is coming. And the chip in on three was basically all you needed. When he did that, it was over. I, and, I, and I know that he's like, well, there's 14 holes left, and there are 15, excuse me. There's a lot more to go, sure, but I think that was the moment where he could have easily had the, the rails fall off. If that chip goes a little bit left or a little bit right, that might be a bogey. And then he's tied with Smith, and then who knows what happened. 
I was looking back at a lot of Masters because I saw someone say this is one of the worst Masters or it was just a, a really boring weekend, which I pushed back on entirely. I looked and I was looking through like who not, like all these different event, all these different tournaments, and usually heading into Sunday, there was a clear cut guy that was going to win. The only real like comeback Masters that we've seen in the last five or six years has been Tiger Woods in 2019, and that one was completely off the rails. That one it was basically like cocaine compared to this, which was just like. A couple, of wine, a couple of you know dr- sips of wine on the porch. That's what this tournament was. That thing was fully loaded, drunk, high on coke, like crazy. And some get nuts, like the Hideki one last year was Andrew Shoffley. But Hideki had a three-stroke lead heading into the final round. Hideki gave a couple back early and then it was ball game, which is exactly what Scheffler did. But Scheffler hits the birdie. And then it was kind of curtains. And then Cam Smith falls apart. Like Cam Smith was still on his ass before that quadruple bogey. Cam Smith was only three shot. I think he was only three shots off the lead at that point. And then the quadruple bogey happens. And then, or it was a triple bogey. It it all fell apart. It never was the same for Cameron Smith. And he gets back to third place. But again, he falls a little bit short. So it's hard for me to look at this and say, oh, it's it was a boring Masters. No, we need to appreciate greatness. We need to appreciate that this is the next young stud in golf. That he deserves some of the brevity that we've talked about with Colin Morikawa. That we've talked about with John Rahm. That we've talked about in the past with Dustin Johnson. I would not even put Dustin Johnson in that category. Jordan Spieth's another one who we used to talk about this way. He deserves all the hype. There's nothing that makes me think Sky Scheffler can't win another major this year. I think he should be among the favorites going forward in any tournament he plays, honestly, because he's just that dude. And if he can, I don't know where it'll get to. If he would, if he were to win, I don't, he's not playing the RBC Heritage next week, uh, for those wondering. But I know there are Texas tournaments coming up because I think the Byron Nelson comes up. Not that the Byron Nelson is a big tournament on the PGA schedule anymore, but if like he wins another one, like at that point, do you think people start being like, oh my God, like we're in the midst of greatness? Or do you think it takes another major? It probably takes another major because golf is a little more of a casual sport than a diehard, everybody's tuned in. I think people will watch the Masters, but there are people who only watch the Majors, and that's it. So I, I personally think it would take like a, him winning the PGA Championship for everybody to be like, holy shit, this guy is something else. But yeah, so the RBC Heritage, then you have the the team thing in New Orleans, then the Mexico Open, which is brand new, which we have not seen. So well, the Mexico Open will be new then the Wells Fargo. So, so yeah, Wells Fargo maybe. Byron Nelson's right before the PGA, so I don't know if if he will play that. But, yeah, if he were to get, like, the, the Wells Fargo or he was able to get the Memorial Tournament, Jack's Course, which is a big deal tournament in June, I think those would be ones that I would look at and say, all right, that's that's a big deal besides majors. And then U- U.S. Open, obviously, in there. 
Um, the Open Championship, I think, plays to his strengths. You know, St. Andrews Masters, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who've done that, where they've won the Masters and they've also won at St. Andrews. I don't think we've heard the last of Scotty Scheffler. I think we're going to see a lot more of Scotty Scheffler. I think Scotty Scheffler has a chance to kind of take the belt of the young golfer. And we've seen, you know, multiple candidates. Morikawa is certainly up there. Morikawa definitely has the chops to be that guy. Could we see a Morikawa-Scheffler rivalry? I think that would be great for the game. Now, do those guys hate each other? No. Morikawa seems like the nicest fucking guy ever. Like, to me, Colin Morikawa is slowly becoming my favorite golfer. I don't know. He just... The way he plays, he looked like a complete weirdo on Saturday with, like, the neck gator. Dustin Johnson was wearing it, too. It was a bad look by Adidas. Um, but I, I love just kind of his attitude and his spirit. Like, you could just see him and Rory were having fun. Him and Dustin were having fun. He just seems like a guy that you could have a few beers with and hang out. And so I, I like those guys. Like, I love Brooks for that exact reason. And I like Max Homa for that reason, too. So I feel like Colin Morikawa, Brooks are kind of my guys. I don't necessarily put Scotty Scheffler in there. Like I wasn't rooting against Scotty Scheffler, put it that way. But I also wasn't necessarily like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm super happy for Scotty Scheffler. I haven't. I did. I did win a lot of money from Scotty Scheffler in the Phoenix Open. It basically like propelled my Super Bowl because I get Scotty Scheffler. I hit his odds. I think it was like thirty three to one or something. And I was like, all right, well, I am fucking set for the Super Bowl. <laughs> like that 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 money came in right as they kicked off, and I was like, it's fucking great. I have nothing to worry about here. I'm good. But this the same. So I, I can't even be like, oh, I haven't benefited from Scotty Scheffler. I've benefited from Sky Scheffler, which is good. And I think the more that people benefit from him, whether it's gambling, whether it's you know fantasy leagues, DFS, the more that he will kind of get to that notoriety stage. But the hype will be real, and there will be a lot of hype going in to the PGA Championship about Scheffler. But I, I'm happy for him. I, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention Tiger Woods. I think this Masters will always be remembered for Tiger. Because it was such an amazing accomplishment. And I know everybody's been talking about Tiger and platitudes with, oh, how incredible this is. And it, it's otherworldly. Yeah, dude, this, I mean, the guy had a fucking plate in his leg. He didn't know if he would be able to walk. He was, he was playing golf with his son, but it was in a cart in November. And he looked all right, but he was in a cart and it was a two-day tournament. He's playing Augusta. And he was in the mix at least on Thursday. Gave a great round. I mean, that Thursday round, I think, will always be remembered. I think that will be sort of the the sub-headline to Sky Scheffler's Masters. Where it'll be, it was Sky Scheffler winning it and sort of announcing him as the best in the world right now. And then it'll also be Tiger Woods' heroic Thursday performance where he had a one under and was in the top 10. And then he had fell apart the rest of the weekend. But that's that's really, and making the cut, right? Bryson DeChambeau also banged up, just like Tiger was. And Bryson did not look right. And Bryson was awful. And I know it's really easy to shit on Bryson, and I'm not a huge Bryson fan. But at the same time, like that to me is the juxtaposition of it. 
if Tiger looked like complete shit, we would have felt bad. But I think the, it would have been a lot of why is he out there? Why did he try to come back? Why didn't he just wait for St. Andrews? So we'll see if we'll get Tiger back for the PGA. I don't think Tiger is going to play any other tournaments uh, in between. I do think that there is probably a part of him that would want to play, you know, Jack's course. He has such respect for Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas. I've done that before in without being on a mic, so this is not surprising to me. Uh, he loves playing the Memorial, so I could see that as an opportunity. I couldn't see him maybe playing the PGA and the Memorial. So I think there is a chance that we might see Tiger Memorial then play St. Andrews, you know, in Ju- in July, and then I don't know from there. <sighs> he won't probably qual- qualify for like the tournament for the FedEx Cup and everything like that. So I don't necessarily expect him to be involved there. But who knows, man? Who knows where you could potentially see Tiger again? I think that's the great unknown for the rest of the year. I think you hope to see Tiger and some of these other things. I think for the PGA, it's going to be the question, will Phil Mickelson be there? Because Phil Mickelson has been radio silent with all the Saudi Arabia stuff. has been extremely critical of the PGA. He just won their title last year. It was a great story. It was kind of the Tiger Woods story of this year. And now, is he going to repeat? Like, you, you kind of have to, right? Like, when are we going to get the... Jim Nance interview with Phil Nicholson. I could totally see that happening before the RBC Heritage this weekend. Jim sitting down with Phil. Phil goes to Myrtle Beach. They talk. Phil's bar of the broadcast. They kind of enter him back in. Golf protects their own. I would not be surprised. But I don't actually, Nance, I don't think Nance does the Masters. So that might be a, maybe against it. I don't know, man. I don't, at some point, Phil's going to do the PR tour. I just don't know when. All right. So Tabby the Keg recommends. This is part of Chuck's Corner. It's a little bit new. Just some weekend stuff. I realize I've, I went long on the Masters. Sorry about that. A couple little things that I, I noticed uh, this weekend when I was out uh, for a friend's 30th birthday. Broken Bat has a new upstairs space. I didn't go up there, which, I, which probably was a mistake. I probably should have... Just broke away and been like, I want to check out their upstairs space. All the pictures look cool. Broken Bat, to me, I would say is a... So it's a really popular bar at this point. Um, I was really sort of impressed with how many people were there. It's not a knock on Broken Bat at all. It's just they don't serve food, right? They, they, they had food trucks. They were ready to go. They just do beer. But they allow dogs. I think that's really important for the millennials. And like myself... And it was popping. And I was really worried, too, that they would just have baseball on because they're a baseball bar. They had baseball and the Masters. It was great. It was perfect TVs. They knew what they were doing there, which I think is really important, whether you're a brewery, whether you're a restaurant, or I'm sorry, whether you're a you know sports bar. Like we've talked about it before. you got to make sure you're distributing your TVs. They had the Masters on as many TVs as they had the Brewers game out. So they weren't trying to be ignorant about, yes, we know we're a baseball bar, but we're not having like uh, Rangers Blue Jays on as well as Brewers Cubs because we're a baseball bar. They They didn't take themselves too seriously, which I have to give them credit for. Beer was great. I really enjoyed uh, their juicy IPA I thought was great. It's like 10%. It's a heavy one. 
Uh, I think it's called Juiced. Um, and I enjoyed it. So, oh, their Hazy IPA, which I forget what it was called. But I, that was also very good. Um, and you're like, God, be more of a prototypical white guy who likes craft beer, won't you? And then uh, Mobcraft. So I also went to Mobcraft, um, did a full brewery thing. Um, I've been critical of Mobcraft in the past. I've just thought some of their beers are kind of mediocre. Um, I had good beers there, but what I want to recommend for the Mobcraft stuff is their pizzas are fantastic. They're more like flatbreads, but they're perfect, man. They are perfect, like, component with drinking beer. And I just think it's something that you shouldn't sleep on if you, like, need something to eat and you're out and you're in that Walker's Point area. Like, it, it's really good. It's self-service. They bring it. You can bring it out to yourself. It's a little expensive, 14 bucks. Because, like, I don't think a group of four guys could only do one of those pizzas. A group of four guys could kill, like, that in a second. I think you'd need at least two or three if you were with, like, four dudes. But we were, I was with a bunch of girls, so it was, it was perfect. And it was great. And so, yeah, don't sleep on that as a food option. It was really good. The sausage was good. I had pepperoni. They had some more exquisite ones that if I was just with my wife, I think we would have went that route. So I definitely want to go back and try some of the nice, those kind of, it was like fig jam, prosciutto. I didn't, I didn't know how crazy I could get with it. So I didn't want to go, I don't want to go nuts and be like, yeah, I got this pizza. And then no one eats it except for myself. And then I'm, I feel fucking fat, shit my guts out. Yeah. Just not, not having it. So yeah, check those out. Check out Broken Bat when you get a chance and see their new upstairs area. You have an event going on. Do that, Mobcraft, their pizza, like I said, it's underrated, I think, in terms of food options around that Walker's Point area. All right, some programming notes for this week before we ride out. We're doing our Tabby the Keg with Shannon. Uh, so 457 will be with Shannon and Mitch. Um, we'll talk about the NBA. We'll, I'm, sh- I'm going to actually ask Shannon a few things. He listens, so I don't want to spoil it, but I have a few things up my sleeve talk to him about um we'll obviously let him pick our brain uh well it'll be a fun show be a good three-man show um we have murph's draft manifesto ready we taped it all this weekend it was great uh that first one will run on tuesday and we'll do at least three this week couple next week i'll put them all together so if someone wants to listen to just all of them uh you will have that for you uh, I did that last year when I was going out of town to Austin. I'm not going out of town this year, so no worries about that. And then we'll hopefully try to have Murph on right before the draft to talk and then right after the draft to kind of recap what all happened, what does he think about the Packers draft, all this other stuff. So look forward to that. Really appreciate him jumping in on that. I do want to try to bring him in more on the draft stuff than just a couple weeks in the year. I think it'd be a lot more fun to talk about it as the year goes on. He's kind of my gambling guy, too, where we talk bets. We love talking over-unders with the NFL. I almost want to do a full NFL over-under pod with him and see what he thinks. But we'll we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get there. Baby steps. Um, you know, I got to be careful of his time and everything like that. He's a busy man get married too so that might be might have to do the over under pod at at his wedding why not right bring the equipment okay that does it went way too long today that's okay um we'll be back tomorrow we'll see you then for a little monologue and a little morph draft manifesto all right take care have a good one bye